All right, well, I'm just going to hop right into this today. We have a lot of material to cover, and so I just want to make sure that I am pacing myself so that we can really take this in. This is definitely going to be more teaching than anything, and so I would encourage you to do one thing. I would encourage you to take notes throughout this, whether it is pen and paper or whether it's on your phone. Please take notes. In fact, I would always encourage you to do that. It really does help uh, retain the information and you can reflect back on it at a later time. This is something that we wanna start doing more of. I really do think it will help. So I encourage you, please take notes today. We are in the middle of a series called The Power of Perspective. And if we're really gonna do a series on the concept of perspective, We can't possibly take that journey without including one of the more key characters that we read in the New Testament. This is a man who lived with such a godly perspective and therefore somebody that we can learn a great deal from. And I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. Now, uh, what's interesting is throughout this series, we have been saying things like, Lord, open up our eyes, right? Open our eyes so that we can see like you. And interestingly enough, that is literally what happened to Paul during his conversion. Um, He was blinded, and then God opened up his eyes, both physically and spiritually. And that was the start of this unbelievable journey for one of God's more faithful servants. Now, we know some things about Paul. Based off of his writings, based off of what he went through, we know some things about him that are worth noting. First off, he was intense. This was an intense man. Both before and after his conversion, he attacked his beliefs with fervor and with passion. He was intense. He was also very faithful. Now, when I think about somebody who's faithful, I think about someone who is just rock solid, right? Like they're not gonna be moved, they're not gonna be influenced, they're not gonna conform to what other people want or think, and that is absolutely who Paul was, very, very faithful. He also went through a lot. I mean, just go read through some of the things that he was put through. He was persecuted for his actions before his conversion. Now, how many people can relate to that, right? Um, He was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was snake-bitten. I mean, if a fraction of these things happened to any one of us, I think we'd probably be embarrassed with how we would respond to it. And yet, he was just faithful. He was also very, very wise. And this is one of the more underrated aspects of who Paul was. Much of the biblical instruction that we have around the church comes from Paul's writings. I mean, he was used in instrumental ways for the Gentile people and for the church of Jesus Christ. And so bottom line, if we really are gonna learn a lesson of perspective from anyone in the Bible, Paul would absolutely be on that short list. And so I wanna dig into this a little bit today. Now, Paul is responsible for writing 13 of the 27 books in our New Testament. But today, I just want to zero in on one in particular. Now, they're all fantastic. They're full of wisdom and insight. But there's one in particular that I think shows really, really great perspective. And so hopefully that will come to light today. So the book that we're going to be walking through today is the book of Philippians. Now, just for the sake of context so that we're all on the same page, The book of Philippians is simply a letter 
that the Apostle Paul sent to a church in the Roman colony of Philippi. Now, Paul's relationship with these people began during his second missionary journey, which occurred around about 50 AD. Now, what's interesting is the city of Philippi really wasn't even on Paul's radar. It's not like they were on his vacation itinerary. In fact, what happened is um, during this missionary journey, he had this vision of a man from this colony who was seeking help. And so it says immediately him and his companions took off to go to Philippi. Now, this ended up being quite a visit. I mean, he was only there for about three months, really, but there was so much that happened in that short amount of time. Namely, Paul met a woman by the name of Lydia, and she actually became the first recorded European convert to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if your lineage goes back to European descent, you ought to be very thankful for that vision that took Paul to Philippi. Now, roughly 12 years after this first encounter with the Philippian people, Paul now finds himself in a different time of life. And so he wants to write them a letter. Now, this includes a variety of different subjects, but really the main purpose of the letter was to thank the people of Philippi for their support. He just wanted to express his appreciation to them. In fact, many theologians would tell you that this is simply a missionary thank you letter right? It's also called the letter of joy because the word joy is used about 16 different times in various different forms. Now, a letter of joy and appreciation seems perfectly normal to me. Now, Paul's an apostle of Christ. To be Christ-like is to live a life with joy and kindness. That makes sense. But there's a little more to the story here that really needs to be flushed out. What we so often forget about the Bible, and this is what makes it so much fun to really dig in, is that it was written by human beings. Now, it was authored by the Holy Spirit, and there's a huge distinction to be made there, but it was written by human beings who were going through human experiences. And so while joy and appreciation seems like an admirable message to send, I think we may underestimate the circumstance of that message. Because here's the most amazing part of the book of Philippians. It's a thank you letter. It's the letter of joy. And yet it's written by Paul as he's sitting in prison. Paul was locked up. He's in chains. And this is the setting for the words that we read in this letter. Now, the Philippian people at this point know that Paul is in prison. And so I just want to read you the very beginning of this letter that he sends. These are the words that he chooses to tell them. And I think even in just this introduction, it displays a pretty profound outlook. So this is how Paul starts. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So already from the very beginning, he's actually sending a message of hope and encouragement because his imprisonment is actually serving to advance the gospel. I mean, that's unbelievable perspective on Paul's part. Now, he would go on to say that at this point in history, people are preaching the gospel both authentically 
as well as selfishly. And actually, some people are preaching it just to get Paul into even more trouble than he's already in. But he says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, you talk about perspective. This man is so focused on Jesus in the gospel that he can't be touched. I mean, throw him in prison, beat him, put him in chains. It doesn't matter. Is the gospel being advanced? That's all that he cares about. And so with this amazing perspective on display, I want to pull from the book of Philippians and see what we can learn. How, like Paul, can we have the right perspective regardless of our circumstances? Now, During my study time this week, I tried hitting this from several different angles. I just wanted to figure out exactly how I was going to attack this. And so I read through the book of Philippians and I started writing down popular scriptures that I read, of which there are a ton. Um, I even Googled most popular scriptures in the Bible just to see what might pop up from the book of Philippians, of which there are a ton. And so really what I realized is this is one of the more excellent books that we have in the Bible. It's only four chapters long. That's it. But it is full of wisdom and insight. And so here's ultimately what I tried to do, okay? I tried to just put myself in Paul's shoes. We talked about that in the introduction to this series, just trying to relate to others. Put yourself in their shoes. That's what I tried to do here with Paul. And so I'm laying in a jail cell. I have chains around my wrist, little to no comfort, little to no support around me. And stuck in this scenario, here's what I thought. What questions might I begin to ask myself? Now listen, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am under attack. And maybe at this point, I need to just check myself a little bit. Maybe I need to kind of reinforce some of these important principles that I live my life by. And so if I were to try to climb into Paul's mind here, there are three questions that I think Paul might actually be trying to answer in his writings to the people of Philippi. Three questions that I think may have been floating around in his head as he's writing to this church. And in answering these questions, I think it might give us the perspective that we need for our own journeys, okay? So let's get into this. Let's hop right in. So Paul is laying on the concrete floor in prison. Here's the first question that I think he might be asking himself. Here it is. Do I trust God? Do I really trust that he's still in control? Do I really trust that he knows what he's doing? Now, honestly, more often than not, Um, I find myself hovering around this topic when I prepare a message. And it's getting to the point to where I feel like, man, this is going to get really repetitive. And yet, as often as I think about this, as often as I talk about this, I still feel like this is the greatest issue that we have as followers of Christ. I mean, if we really were to pull evidence from our lives, the thoughts that run through our heads, the behaviors that we have, the reactions to certain situations— Would they really show that we truly trust God? 
Now, I think I can confidently say the answer is no. If we really trusted God, would we get discouraged so easily? If we really trusted God, would we get frustrated so easily? If we really trusted him, would we be stressed out all the time? No, we wouldn't. And yet every one of our lives is marked by those things. Now, why is that? Why is that the case? Now, I think one of the struggles that we have in trying to trust God is simply our life's experiences, right? I mean, we've tried to put trust in other people. That's gone horribly wrong, right? I mean, they've been unfaithful to us. They've spilled secrets. They've turned their backs on us. And so really the idea of someone is truly faithful to us, the idea of someone who's unshakable in his love for us, who would never leave us or forsake us, that is honestly a concept that we can't even comprehend, let alone live in. And so how can we get over this hurdle? How can we really learn to trust God no matter what? There are three sub points here that I just wanna quickly walk through that I think really will help us in this journey as we try to put our trust in God, okay? The first one is confidence, confidence. Now, if you're really going to trust someone, you have to be confident in them. That makes sense, right? Now, watch what Paul writes here. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is confident that the work that has begun will be carried out. Paul always has this amazing macro view of life. He doesn't get caught up in the circumstances. Yeah, I might be in prison, but the story isn't complete yet because Paul's confidence wasn't based on his circumstance. Rather, it was based in his trust that God was in control. Now, let me read a few other remarks that he makes in this letter that really does show how much he trusts God. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, does that insinuate hesitation or doubt in any way? No, my God will supply all of your needs. That's confidence. Now, I'm sure you've heard this one before, but think about it within this context, okay? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, wait a second, Paul. You're sitting in a jail cell right now. How can you possibly say that? Because his confidence is in God. Paul is confident that God is able. He's confident that God will work it out. And therefore, he can put his trust in him. We have to have confidence in our God. The second one is contentment. Contentment. Now, think about this for a second. We all have people in our lives that we really do trust, right? I want you to think about the people in your lives that you trust more than anyone. Like you know they're not gonna turn their backs on you. You know they're not gonna judge you or look down on you. These are the people you trust most. Get those people in your mind right now. Now when you're around these people, isn't there a level of contentment? Like you don't have to second guess yourself. You don't have to think twice about what you might say or what you might do. You're simply content. Now, here's what Paul says after thanking the people of Philippi for their support. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Now, I have to be honest. I read that and I think, 
That is such a loaded statement. How can you possibly say that, Paul? I mean, talk is cheap, right? Except the fact that he's writing, writing this as he's sitting in prison. I mean, if anybody has credibility here, it's Paul as he's sitting in prison. And somehow he can say, I've learned to be content no matter the circumstance. Now, this is such a tough one for the world that we live in. Because we live in a culture that's so upbeat and it's so fast-paced. And so honestly, the idea of truly being content is quite foreign to us. I mean, you just think about our everyday lives. We constantly are wanting more and more things, right? We want a new job. We want a new house. We want a nicer car. We want more friends. We want more obedient children. We want, we want, we want. And rarely are we truly content with what we have. And don't misunderstand me here. Striving to be better and to do better is not a bad thing, but we have to learn to be content in the moment. Now, when is the last time that you really did thank God for the everyday things in your life, just the the little things in your life, for the house that you do have, for the car that you do get to drive, for the children that you do have? Stop whining about what you don't have and be content with what you have do have. Now, um, this part of this letter is pretty cool because Paul mixes this idea of trust and contentment. This is what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul makes so many definitive statements in this letter. It's crazy. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, Rather, learn to be content with whatever the circumstance, contentment. We need to be confident in God. We need to be content in our circumstances. And the last one is commitment, commitment. How do you really build up trust in someone? You commit to them. You can never trust someone if you don't give them the opportunity to be faithful in the first place, right? Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, so I don't wanna linger too long but we really do live in a culture that just gives up too easily, right? It's acceptable just to throw in the towel. If you're unhappy, if you're offended, if you're just a little bit uncomfortable, just go ahead and move on. Go ahead and give up. Now, understand something. I'm not talking about staying in an abusive relationship. I'm not talking about committing to people who continually hurt you without remorse. You seek help and you get into recovery if that's the case. But in most of the situations we run, to, run into in life, we just simply throw in the towel way too easily. I mean, let's just go back to Paul here. Now, honestly, how much crying, how much complaining, how much sulking would you be doing if you were in Paul's situation here, right? A lot. You're, you're in prison because of your faith in Jesus Christ. How many times would you have said, God, what are you doing to me right now? Like, I've been nothing but faithful to you. What are you doing to me? I think that would look an awful lot like how we would respond. And yet here's Paul's perspective. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus, I press on. Press on in your job. Press on in your finances. Press on in your marriage. Press on in your commitments. If we really are confident in God, if we really were content in our circumstances, and if we really were committed to the path, 
we would learn to trust in God. We have to train our minds. We have to put these things into practice so that we really can rightly answer the question, do I really trust God? Okay, that's the first question that I think Paul might be trying to answer to himself in this letter. Let's move on. The second question that I think Paul was maybe thinking about and trying to even answer in this letter is this. Do I have the right attitude? Do I have the right attitude? Now, it's great to put your trust in God and know that he's gonna work out. But in the meantime, are you operating with the right attitude? Now listen, does your attitude really reflect joy and peace and gentleness and kindness? Is that what your attitude looks like? Or does it more reflect anger and sadness and frustration and discouragement? I want you to think about that for a second. Which of those two would really reflect your attitude on a day-to-day basis? Now, if we were really wise here, we would take special notice of Paul's attitude in this situation. The greatest apostle to ever live, what is his attitude as he's locked away in prison for really doing nothing wrong? Now, I'm gonna read a few excerpts from this letter, and I wanna show you the common theme that I see in Paul's attitude, okay? So let's walk through these quickly. Philippians 3, 7, Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is the standard for your attitude? It needs to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he says in Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, here's the common theme that I see in Paul's attitude. Here is what is so impressive about his approach in this scenario. It's evident that he understands that it's not about him. He's talking about the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, the gospel of Christ, the value of other people around you. In none of these scriptures is he concerned about himself, and he's the one who's in prison. Now, this is once again a common theme in our sermons, but it's one that is so, so important. 100% of your bad attitude can be traced back to the fact that you are selfish. Now, you think about it. Whether you're driving down the highway, whether you're on the job, whether you're at home, whether you're at church, if it is about you, inevitably, your bad attitude will surface, right? You get cut off on the highway, bad attitude. You don't get recognition at work, bad attitude. The chores aren't done right around the house, bad attitude. You didn't like the songs that were sang this morning, bad attitude, right? It all springs up from a root of selfishness. Now, do you know what we probably need to pray more than anything in our lives? That God would give us a perspective of selflessness, a perspective that really does see outward rather than inward, We really need to be more intentional about this. Selflessness is the true mark of a Christian, and it's ultimately what erases a bad attitude. Now, Paul is so sure about this stance that he even goes on to say, do everything 
without grumbling or arguing. Another definitive statement, do everything without grumbling or arguing. How in the world do you do that? How is that possible? You get your eyes off yourself and you look to God and to other people. This is the real secret to having the right attitude no matter the circumstance. Stop making it about you. Rather, make it about other people and you will see a good and right attitude come to the surface. Now, here is the last question that I believe was on Paul's mind as he's writing this letter. And it's a really, really important one that we need to take notice of. And here it is. Am I still thankful? Am I still thankful? As I mentioned earlier, the book of Philippians, really at the foundation, is a thank you letter. It's the letter of joy. And when you put that into the context of Paul's situation, that's pretty amazing, right? Like, regardless of his condition, he's staying thankful. Now, let me read you the end of this letter as he shows his appreciation for the Philippian people. This is what he says. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. They are pleasing to God. He is thankful and he refuses to go on without them knowing it. And I'll tell you what, we do talk an awful lot about trust and about perseverance and about selflessness, but we don't talk enough about being thankful. Now, do you really appreciate what God has done for you? Are you really thankful for the people around you? How often do you show that appreciation? How often do you vocalize your gratitude? Just two weeks ago, I read this quote Um, That just blew my mind uh, on the perspective of thankfulness. In fact, it's changed the way that I pray, the way that I approach God, and it just blew me away. And here it is. It's simple. What if all you had today is what you thanked God for yesterday? Whatever you thanked him for yesterday is all that you have today. That blew my mind. Like I was by myself when I read that, and I still felt like so judged and so small because honestly, I would be in trouble. I I would, because we just take things for granted. Everything in our lives has been a blessing from above, and we just look right past it. We have to change that. We have to be mindful of what he's done for us. We have to be aware of the blessings that we have in our lives. How much better would our lives really be if we were truly thankful, truly appreciative for the things that we have and the lives that we get to live? I mean, stop focusing on the struggle and start focusing on the blessings. We have to start living life with a perspective of thankfulness. I mean, goodness, guys, look at your house. Look at your car. Look at your children. Look at the many luxuries you have in life. I mean, just go do research on the many African countries who don't have the resources to to feed 75% of their citizens. We're talking about millions of people who are starving and are dying. 
I mean, go do research on the poverty within our own country, people that don't have clothes and don't have food and don't have shelter. I mean, goodness, we have so many things to be thankful for, and we don't even realize it. I mean, we don't even see it. We have to start being more thankful for the blessings in our lives. We are some of the most blessed people who have ever lived on the planet Earth, and yet we don't even pay attention to it. We take everything for granted. It's time to change that. It's time to have a perspective of thankfulness regardless of your circumstance. Now, if you could go ahead and stand with me as the musicians come. Whenever I get up here to speak, I always try to talk about putting this stuff into practice. Because honestly, if you're just here for entertainment or, or to earn brownie points, then I'm completely wasting my time. But what I really want, and I think what God really wants, is for you to take these lessons and carry them with you. Put them into practice so that over the course of time, it just becomes part of who you are. You know what I mean? In fact, Paul ascribed to this very theory. He ends this letter by saying, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And so in an effort to do that, I really want you to cling to these principles. I want you to really be intentional in carrying them out in your life, regardless of your situation. And listen, Paul was in prison. He was going through one of the worst times of his life. But maybe you can't relate to that. Maybe things are great for you right now, like things are flowing well, your spiritual life is growing. That's fantastic. But regardless of your situation, I want you to really put these checkpoints in your life. Do I trust God? Do I have the right attitude? And am I still thankful? If we really did this, if we were really intentional about carrying this out in our lives, I really do think it would go such a long way in giving us the perspective that we need. Now, maybe things are great for you right now, but what happens when that changes in a few weeks? What happens when your company all of a sudden starts laying people off and now you find yourself without a job? You don't know what you're gonna do. Your finances, I mean, what's gonna happen? Do I trust God? Do I have the right attitude? Am I still thankful? Do you see how if we put these checkpoints in our lives, we really would maintain the right perspective. It would keep us on the right course to growing closer to God and really truly seeing through his eyes. I want you to be intentional about this if we really do want a good and right perspective. Can we just close our eyes right now and just pray together that God would really give us the perspective that we need. It's so tough, I know it's so tough. Every day we go through struggles, every day we we have to walk face first into distractions, I, I get it, it's tough. But can we just pray that God would help these principles, these lessons to stick into our heart so that we can really carry them out in our lives. Let's pray that together, Lord. We ask that you would take these principles today, these lessons that you've given us, and that they would sink deep into our hearts, that we would really put these into place so that regardless of what we head into over the next week, over the next month, over the next year, that we would remember these principles so that we can allow them to play out in our lives, so that we can allow them to focus in our perspective on what it needs to be. Lord, we want to draw closer to you. We want to understand you better. And we think that we can do that so much more 
with a good and right perspective. Help us, Lord, to hone in on this, regardless of what situations pop up, that we would be focused, that we would be disciplined on the perspective that you need us to have as your people. We give you all the glory, all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.